Welcome to Record Roulette. My name is Eamon O'Flynn, and I'm here with Sonia Walton and Nathan Smith to discuss another album from the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums list that we've chosen at random. This week, we have one of our former guests making a triumphant return. She's an actress, a musician, a singer, a comedian, a writer, an influencer, and, you know, an all-around nice person. Yep, it's Gia Mora. It's great to have you back, Gia. Thank you so much for having me. What an illustrious introduction. I'm going to just bring you around to introduce me that way everywhere. Yeah, and I was afraid I was going to miss something. I'm 100% sure I I, uh, I have. You know, it's like in Zoolander where it's like the, was it the actress slash model? But it's like the slashy awards and you're, you've are you got all kinds of the slashies and it makes it very tough to keep up with uh, with everything you're, you've been doing. So, uh, but what I would say is, our album for today is is really perfect for your return. I think it's it's glam, it's cinematic, it's funny, it's writerly, it's influential, uh, and I am of course talking about Lou Reed's second studio album, Transformer, which was released in 1972 and is on the Rolling Stone list at number 109. It's actually one of the higher uh, up numbers that we've had. Mm-hmm. As with so many episodes before this, I came in completely blind. I had no idea who Lou Reed was. I couldn't tell you the era or the genre or anything at all. I didn't know he was in Velvet Underground. I didn't know he collaborated with David Bowie. Uh, Did any of you know who Lou Reed was? And if so, what was your history with his music like? Uh, Gia, you go ahead and kick us off. Ooh, yeah. I I did know who Lou Reed was for a number of reasons. Um, I... I knew he did walk on the wild side. I did not know like, and that I've known for a long time, but to hear it in context was something else entirely different. Um, But I, I also knew about Velvet Underground. I had the album, it's John Cale and the other guy from Velvet Underground when uh, that wrote songs for Drella, which is, all songs about Warhol being shot. Mm-hmm. And so I had sort of these peripheral parts of that. And I have another friend in New York City who he knows every person. You'd be talking, he's like, oh, yeah, so-and-so, oh, we'll go to dinner with them. And Lou Reed is like one of those people. And he would hang out with Lou Reed and Lori Anderson in um, Montauk or whatever. And I would get these amazing stories and he would play these crank crotchety old cranky voicemails from Lou Reed (laughs) to me and like I couldn't believe I'm like wait this is Lou Reed like the Lou Reed and he's leaving you a grumpy grandpa message on your phone (laughs) so I have this I felt like I knew Lou Reed in a way that I wouldn't have at all I kind of wish I'd had a totally blank slate experience like you'd had but um Hmm. 1972 have you guys watched the new guys have you people i'm really got to get rid of that word in my vocabulary uh have you seen the the beatles the documentary the peter jackson two-thirds of it yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) like two or three times making your way through (laughs) it's like the lord of the rings it's just like three movies too long it's fine (laughs) it's so true well it got me thinking you weren't in lord of the rings were you Please say, got no, thank I mean, I wish. I was out you know, number seven. Slashes. <laughs> <laughs> Slash elf. Um, but, but you know, one of the things that reminded me of just thinking about how the, the, the amount of time between that concert and then the release of this album and just imagining what's happened musically within that time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought those, having seen all of that kind of at the same time, I, I think influenced how I heard it in its entirety for the first time for this project. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Cool. And I'm, I'm very happy that I wasn't the, the person who was hearing the crotchety uh, voicemails because of the fact that I'd be like, who the hell is this guy? Why are, <laughs> why are we listening to crotchety old man voicemails? What's going on? Is uh, Lou Nathan, a lady? <laughs> is Lou a lady? <laughs> yes. She smoked yeah. a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nathan, have, had you heard, A, heard of Lou Reed, knew who Lou Reed was, and if so, have much history or experience with the music? Yeah, I think on the spectrum between yourself and Gia, I'd probably be sort of right down the middle where I didn't have any voicemails that I'd heard from him. And I, I had actually heard the name and was somewhat aware of his work. So unlike Eamon, unlike Jen, sort of right down the middle. So I didn't, I I had, I'd heard of this album as one of those albums that is always on these lists. I'd never actually listened to it in spite of that. So, I mean, you recognize the, the name, you recognize the cover of the album. It's somewhat iconic, I think, whenever you browse these lists, it's always on there somewhere. So I was familiar with it in that sense. I'd never heard anything on the album except for Walk on the Wild Side, which I was surprised to see was on this album. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's on Transformers. So is this like the hit or whatever? You know, I don't know if it had a hit per se, but I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, but I knew Lou Reed primarily through the Velvet Underground. Um, I hadn't had any exposure to any of his solo stuff, either before Transformer or after. Uh, so I had a, a bit of a, an awareness and a, and a knowledge and an appreciation going in, but not to the extent that I'm listening to voicemails from crotchety old Lou Reed. <laughs> uh, so Sonia, what about you? Uh, I'm, I'm down the middle with Nathan. I'm the peanut butter to his jelly. I don't know. Uh, so I, I know Lou Reed's, uh, you know, through Velvet Underground. Hadn't ever listened to this album before. I knew Walk on the Wild Side because who doesn't? And Perfect Day, I think, has been on soundtracks of various, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, train spotting. Train spotting. And yeah. I I think it's on some kind of playlist. I, I have, you know, like sad, sad ladies list on Apple Music or something. So <laughs> I've heard it a lot. Right. <laughs> sad ladies with their bourbons. I'm surprised I didn't hear it when we shared an office. Though. At home with cats. Well, because I had these on all the time. <laughs> yeah, you had the headphones on. <laughs> God, you're so loud. Oh, yeah, I know. Always the band and Bob Seger. Just playing it out loud. Like, screw it. I'm not wearing headphones. And when he wasn't playing the music, he was talking about it, you know? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why I have this podcast now. That's this right. is This is my outlet. That's right. Um, so I don't drive my new co-workers crazy. That's right. This is this therapy was mandated, was it? Yeah. yeah that's what this is. This yeah. is mandated therapy. And I was like, you know, I've already driven Sonia crazy, so I can bring her in. And she right. should be part of this. That's right. <laughs> Um, what did you guys think of this album? Uh, like in the, the the short version, like the 30 seconds or so. Uh, Gia, we can start with you again. I thought it was darling. I know that's a really weird word to use, but it was almost quaint for an album that is so utterly radical uh, mm. for its time. I, you know, like you said, there's like the sad old ladies in coffee shops drinking bourbon. There is that sort of aesthetic to it. So it it's, um it's, it's charming. There's uh, elements of music hall, I think, in it too that evoke that sort of old, uh, small kind of venue. It is kind of in diametric opposition in this weird way to like David Bowie and the arena concert. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's very, it's contained. It's, that's why I call it charming. Yeah. It feels like even from the the album cover, it almost feels like something that's happening in like a, a dingy small room mm -hmm. um, in some ways where, yeah, it is like when you have David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust soon, he, he will become Ziggy Stardust soon at this point. Um, yeah, it's a totally <laughs> different thing. Sonia, what do you think? Uh, I I loved it. Um, I It took a couple of listens to to really 
get there, but I loved it. Um, it's kind of upbeat and catty and catchy, and then also kind of morose and yeah, sad bourbon lady music. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Nathan, in this instance, I'm gonna have to sort of deviate from so oh, right? No. Where I started off the first time I listened <laughs> to it, I, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I really liked it. And then the more I listened to it, the less I like, I didn't grow to despise it, but I sort of, I lost my affection for it uh, to, to varying degrees with each successive listen. So I didn't, again, I, I didn't get to the point where I like disliked it. I'm like, this is garbage. And I took it off, but I really <laughs> liked it the first listen. And then the more I listened to it, the less I liked it. So in the end, I still liked it, but I really liked it when I first heard it. And then mm. kind of, it came down a few notches after I heard it a few more times. I feel like this is a mild Brian Eno situation uh, because I am I'm aligned with Sonia here. Uh, although Nathan disliked that one uh, a fair amount more, I think intensely. There was intensely. just that one song that sounded like Blur that was terrible. Mm. There, that's the one he liked. Um, yes, it was. Oh, no. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we were totally that, totally opposed on every <laughs> on every count. Uh, I love this. Uh, I think for me, it's an album with this weird balance of familiar because there's a lot of familiar sounding music on on this, um, and then there's this offbeat and peculiar that kind of uh, I think keeps it interesting even after a dozen listens. At least for me, I obviously Nathan didn't feel that way. Um, I'm curious about something though. So I think, uh, I think maybe we should start our, our discussion a bit backward today. And I'd like to ask what your favorite song was on the album, uh, before we go into anything else. So Nathan, I'll put you on the spot. Well, this is, uh, again, I've said this, if, if you've heard more than one podcast, you probably heard me say this before, but I always sort of question myself when I pick the singles or the biggest songs on the album. Cause I wonder, do I like this because I've heard it a bunch of times or then do I find myself sort of subconsciously resisting it because I don't want to pick the obvious one. But I, I do think objectively, if I just heard this album and I was you know, from Mars and I'd never heard Walk on the Wild Side, I think I'd have to take that. But if I'm removing that from the equation, saying don't take the obvious one, the one I would take is uh, Makeup. Yes! And I just thought, all right. Yes! So we lose a point and we gain a point. We We're get, getting back I even know. more. Peanut butter uh, jelly. I, I mean, there's other songs that are we more immediate. We always and more interesting. I just thought this one makeup for me sort of felt like a nice representation of the album at large. If somebody's going to say, what does this album sound like? Like if you can kind of get it in the song, what best represents all the songs in one, this one makeup, I would say does that. So I, I'd go with that. If I'm not going to take the obvious walk on the wild side, which I think is fantastic. And I think despite the fact I've heard it a million times, I would still pick that song as the song, but uh, makeup, if we're going to remove the obvious. So Sonia, does that mean you also picked makeup? Is that your, yes. or did you just agree with him because no, no. you thought he had a good opinion this one no, time? No, no, no. I can screen cap it to show you. Uh, I love this song. I thought it was like maybe a little bit less dramatic than some of the other songs on the album, but it's so um, intimate and it's like this weird kind of love song vibe, but is he expressing his love for this person or for the transformative elements of makeup <laughs> yes you trailed off a little bit i think it's uh is that the end yeah that was yep. the end okay okay yeah. uh G gia what about you i'm quite partial to new york telephone conversation i i love that i don't know it reminds me of it's like a send-up of the opening to bye bye birdie that's like hi nancy hi alan what's the story morning glory like to me there's this that's a, that like music hall kind of waka waka uh sound <laughs> that i just that's adore. definitely the vibe i picked up as well <laughs> yeah 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 it's 
Yeah, I and and mine mine was perfect day, which is um, it's stuck in my brain and it won't go out, uh, and it be, just because I think it's such a weird, unusual balance of really melancholy music uh, with a kind of positive message. Um, I know that there's there's stuff about like it being about heroin, uh, but he has very clearly said uh, in the past that it's just literally about a day that he thought was perfect, hanging out with a, a woman he loved in Central Park, I think it was, and. He literally said, guys, don't read into this any further. I'm the one who wrote it. It's not about heroin. And this is a guy who wrote a song called Heroin. So I think that he would he would not be afraid of. Uh... He's got nothing to hide. Yeah, exactly. He's not really worried that someone was thinking he was doing heroin. But I think the reason I asked that was because I thought one of the things that that really kind of grabbed my attention with this album was just the insane variety of sounds that happens here. Uh, and I'm not sure who to who to kind of um credit for that and i don't I know am. if that's you you are who, david who bowie. is it nathan david, is bowie. It david bowie i would think so yeah i i mean david bowie maybe mick ronson yeah um yeah. it's a it's a very strange you know and i think that yeah 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 it's definitely yes. it's not lou reed i mean you guys have more experience with lou reed is he does this kind of thing happen on other albums or is this just a very or you know is this just a very this album -y kind of thing um, because it's, it's interesting. Anyway, it's, it's just a very, very, there's insane amount of variety on this thing. When I started listening to the album, I thought, oh, this sounds a lot like David Bowie. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh shit, David Bowie. And, and then, uh, I was curious because David Bowie cites the Velvet Underground as one of his big influences. And I was like, okay, so who's influencing whom here? Did I use whom? Everyone's influencing everyone. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a very interesting. Yeah, it's but I yeah, I, I kind of brought that up because of the, the variety thing like it's just I think that we can talk about vocals uh, in a little bit, but I think that Lou Reed has a relatively limited vocal range. And I don't think that that's a that's a crazy thing to say, um, but all the songs sound different to me. And I think that that's something that that does go back to, you know, whether that is, um, you know, Mick Ronson or David Bowie, there's just something really special about how every single song sounds different and the way they hit all of our ears sound different, you know, and, and, and we all, cause usually there is way more crossover with favorite songs, I feel. And so this is something that's kind of very interesting to me. There's something on this album for just about everyone. Anyone want to jump in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just, just to pick up on your, your observation about his, his vocal limitations, I think that's where you know, the production and the music has to really, if you're going to sort of differentiate from songs, when a vocal style is relatively the same throughout the album, like you've really got to have a lot of different kind of song structures and instrumentation and production to, to, to make those sounds cut through as, as discernibly different. And so I think, again, that's a, a credit I would, and not to say that Lou Reed had nothing to do with it, because clearly he's involved and he's got to be either saying yay or nay or putting through his ideas. But I think to, to have songs that do sound uh, distinctly different throughout the album, despite his vocal limitations, I think you got to give a lot of credit to the, uh, the producers and the arrangers. Um, and Lou Reed could have been involved in the arrangements and the production, but I think that's where you really lean on that side of the, uh, the the album more so than you would on others where you can have somebody with multiple vocal stylings and and that alone can kind of differentiate the songs here you've got kind of one style and it really falls in the production to kind of provide that uh, diversity mm -hmm. gia i would agree on, i would um i would agree on that i think the instrumentation really does do it you know there's sometimes there's more tracks that are piano forward and some that are more drum forward um and that uh 
keeps keeps like you said this otherwise almost monotone sort of singing right i mean he's the king of sing speak he should probably do a cover of camelot or something like through all the <laughs> all the classic sing speak musicals i'd love to hear um lou reed's uh <laughs> What do you call it when they reanimate them? His hologram. Well, I was I'll say, we could probably get an AI to do that I'll, now. Yeah, I'll watch Lou Reed's AI do all of the great musicals, every Robert Preston role. Uh, no, but I think that there definitely is production. You're right about makeup. Sounds like a David Bowie song. I mean, undoubtedly. Like, you can just hear that influence. But I think Reed is such a a strong writer that despite the sort of musical uh mixtape kind of quality that this album has his style somehow is the the particular thread that carries it through no matter what voicing we get which i think is a mm -hmm. a rare uh special treat because a lot of times that just doesn't work a lot of times it makes an album sound disjointed when it has too many mm -hmm. of those pieces especially when there isn't sort of like an anchor voice it isn't a whitney houston or a God, I've just said all the oldest references to things. I'm like, hi, let me continue <laughs> to reference people who are dead. But <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not even 40 okay. yet. Um, but since At, okay, 50, 50, I see where this is plus, going. Yeah, uh oh. Yeah. Uh, 50, 50 plus percent of the people we've covered on this podcast so far are dead. And, you know, it's, it's not a problem. That's, is that because that it's, it's actually better they for die. us. <laughs> Yeah. I guess so, right? Yeah, fewer, fewer libel suits. Um, that's right. <laughs> okay, cut that. Cut that part. No, that's good. That's good. I, you know, it's like not going to be the... good for our libel suit, though. No, no, that's. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's just, it's cool to have something. There's stuff on here, and I have to make a. I'll make a Bob Seger reference. Uh, I'll met, I already mentioned him, but because Gia's here, so I just need to make sure this is tossed in there. But it's there's a very old time rock and roll feel to some of his some of the songs. Hanging round and wagon wheel feel like wagon old wheel. time rock oh, and yeah. roll types of songs. But then there's these weird oddities like walk, walk on the wild side, and then something quieter, a quieter ballad kind of feel with Perfect Day. And then you've got Goodnight Ladies, which is like, I don't know, 20s, 30s, 50s. I always mix up all of those decades, but style like crooner <laughs> club kind of tune. And his voice fits it somehow. That's the thing that's crazy is that with such a limited voice in some ways, it, it does always seem to fit these songs. He never seems out of place, oddly. We've talked a little bit about the, the lyrics and you you mentioned, Gia, how, how strong of a writer is. Do you want to, uh, he is, do you want to kind of go any further on on that part? Ooh, well, you know, um, I definitely was seeing uh, lyrically uh, both the predecessors and then the antecedents of his lyrics, I think, in here. Obviously, this is a lot about gender nonconformity at large. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. you hear, you know, bits of get back, um, which, you know, was came out before then. But then on the other side of it, you also hear songs like Suzanne Vega's Tom's Diner. Do, 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 mm -hmm. do, do, do. And I feel like those um, lyrically are, are, are very much in that vein. I think uh, as a writer, he writes uh, short stories. When you said he was walking through Central Park and that's when Perfect Day was about. Of course, I'm thinking of Holden Caulfield, right? And I'm uh, imagining uh, Catcher in the Rye and that these are these sort of encapsulated short story moments. And I think he does a, a really great job of kind of diving in. I don't know that I necessarily think he is um, like Randy Newman, who I would say 
kind of becomes a first person narrator of a character when he's singing from a very different perspective. I mean, whether he's playing the devil or in Faust or whatever, but uh, even in other songs where he's taken on a perspective of a different character, I feel like Lou Reed is playing all the different parts of himself. He's Mm. not transforming into something else he's he's metamorphizing within himself and all of the pieces of himself so all of these lyrically seem like vignettes of his life um and i think that also might be why i feel like they tie together so well nathan you look like a guy who wants to say something well (laughs) i don't know if you can read body language very well (laughs) i don't have much to say but what i would say on the the topic of the lyrics is that um he is delving into some pretty um, progressive, I don't mean progressive politically, although it, it is, but for the time, I mean, progressive subject matter. And he's doing it in a way where he's, I mean, other people I'm sure have delved into, you know, sort of transgender discussions and and the like, and, and obviously drugs came well before 72 and, and quite on the nose, but it's specifically the sexuality issues that he, he touches upon. He doesn't do it with any sort of, um, uh, you know, euphemisms or kind of hidden, like he's, hitting it right on the nose in a very direct way. So there's no question as to what he's talking about, which, um, you know, even now a lot of people kind of dance around it and find other ways of saying things and they hint at it and they kind of just, they're around the crease, so to speak, to use a bad uh, analogy. But with him, he's he's saying directly what it is he's talking about, which, you know, you think about it's 50 years ago now, like that is, that's unheard of. So I think, you know, you try as best you can, as we do oftentimes, with these discussions to put yourself back into the time in which the album came out and to be in 1972, I believe is when this came out um, to be hearing that subject matter being discussed in such a direct way where it's like, did he, was he, do you think he was talking about, he was absolutely talking about that because he's saying what he's talking about. So that's, that's that on its own, I think is really um, uh, interesting uh, for this album. Sonia, got anything? Nope. No, nothing. Carry nothing on. Nothing in the lyrics. Um, yeah. I, I, I think don't listen that, to the words. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I can't read. I can't read. Um, <laughs> no oblo uh, in glace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if I was, you know, we were talking about this at the very start about this always being on lists of like greatest albums. And I think uh, to me, it's, it is the lyrics that, that really put it up at that level because I think they are so insanely gutsy. Um, in, in this podcast, this is, uh, I don't know, 22nd, somewhere around there, 20th. 20 seconds, something like that, um, that we've done. And I don't feel like it's since like Nina Simone that we've talked about lyrics that delivered such a controversial message so directly. Like she had four women and that was basically like immediate, like immediately banned from radio stations because of, because of the subject matter and, and really because of who she, he, she was. And, you know, that is what this felt like when I was listening to it. Like, you know, it's it's transgender issues, sex acts, drugs. Um, in some countries, it was it, it did end up getting edited, but like makeup, for instance. You, you know, he actually said uh, around the time uh, when talking about that song, he said the the gay life at the moment is isn't that great. I wanted to write a song that made it terrific, something you'd enjoy. Mm. And you know, and, and it's just it, as you said, it's such a loving song. It's not you know, it's it, so it, it's such an interesting album because of these lyrics. I think that that's the piece that elevates it the most, uh, in, in my estimation, at least. Um, just because it's, I'm not sure if anyone else is doing exactly this at this moment in time in 1972, but uh, as you said, Nathan, it's so on the nose, um, you know, about uh, 
about his life and what what he's living. Um, I did have a kind of something that to, to a call back to the James Taylor episode that was around the around the vocals. And I want your thoughts on this, Gia, because you are the expert, obviously, that his his um, the limits to his vocal range. It kind of actually reminds me of, James, of what we talked about with James Taylor. There's like a lack of dy- dynamism, dynamism. That's the word I'm looking for uh, in this. Um, would you agree with that? Is that what it is that it, like, what, what are we? Yeah. I'll just, I'll just clumsily pass it over to you at this point. Well, thank you for saying I'm an expert (laughs) in this. I don't know if I am, but I can speak from a singer's perspective and say, I think that you're right. Um, dynamically speaking, like the, the difference in soft volumes versus loud volumes, like Nirvana is a great band to discuss dynamics because it's dun, 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 right. So we know there's great dynamism involved in that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. James Taylor, a lot more mellow. This in general is also super mellow. There's not a lot of, there's not like a screaming rager in it. Um, but I do think also he doesn't have just literally a big singing range. The range. Whereas Taylor has more vocal range and more vocal control. I don't think Lou Reed gives a shit about singing. Like, I don't think, I think singing is just perfunctory of the music execution, but the, the, the artistry is not in the vocals. Contrast that to somebody like Nina Simone, who is literally throwing daggers with her, her, her words, you know, every mm-hmm. keystroke, every syllable, um, this. And like I said, it's so, I don't know if you all feel this way. It, it's such a, like you said, Nathan, on the nose, no no questions asked, like, this is what we're talking about here. But it doesn't feel aggressive mm-hmm. in that. And I think part of it is because his voice isn't going to halt you in the street. You have to listen in order to get anything from it. Well, I think that speaks to your, your perspective that you mentioned earlier, Gia, about sort of how you envision him coming at these topics as, as not somebody who's sort of casting himself or trying to uh, play the part of somebody. He's more an observer. And so he kind of sounds like an observer and how he's, he's delivering these lines. Like he's not, he's not feeling these things directly or experiencing. So he's kind of off to the side, like, Hey, look at that guy. That's weird. Huh? Like he's just kind of like, <laughs> he's just watching it. And so because he's not directly impacted by these, he can still feel things because he's watching things happen, but they're not happening to him. And so the vocal stylings, I think sort of reflect that in a way that doesn't make it as if you combine the subject matter where there's it's not open to interpretation it's very direct and if you have vocals that are also like you know he's screaming in pain or he's really feeling it like that could be almost overwhelming or just off-putting but he's able to get the message across i think in part like you said because of how he's vocalizing these lines which are very direct and uh, very pointed so i I think that's an interesting contrast that you mentioned Mm -hmm. beautiful way to to look at it i like that nate very much nathan um yeah, I, I think one of the things, yes, he's, he will bow and he is it's been a great logging night. off. Good night, everybody. Good night. Best of luck for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the, so the as we mentioned, the variety of the songs uh, hide the monotony, a little, a little bit the monotony of his voice, I'd, I'd call it a bit. But I think that it's also the willing, his willingness to add a bit of kind of conversational and comedic twist to what he was saying. And how he, so the New York conversation, uh, telephone conversation is, is a perfect example of that. Sonia's really shaking their head. Do you, did you dislike that one? I, I, I just loved it. Um, just loved it. Yeah. Uh, when Gia was, was saying how much she liked it, I was like, oh, um, I, I guess it just felt like a discordant, like Sesame Street song to me. 
which maybe some people like that. It resonates, but he, he, he was. It's about making fun of Andy Warhol. That's the. Uh, it's actually because Andy Warhol would uh, would get people on the phone and then gossip forever, apparently. And the, he was known for these extremely long conversations that were extremely. Unlike Lou Reed, you know, who would just leave you terse voicemail messages. <laughs> yeah, even in Hey, you get to it on your time. That was the difference. He's not taking. It's like when you're ready to invest the time, you can invest the time. He's not imposing on you. Yeah, but I, I thought that that actually brought the you know. People aren't always interested in in adding that kind of that texture to their voice and and kind of people can get precious about their voice, too. Right. And so I think that in his case, he's, not, he's as you said, G, it doesn't give a shit about it. And, you know, and it opens it up to have something that feels more conversational at times and certainly funny at times. You know, it's there's a joke and he's telling it. Um, but he also uh, his voice actually and a lot about this album actually reminded me of the 90s. It made me think of like his voice had this very the monot monotonous kind of sound to his voice made me think of the kind of slackery type of vocals we we got with uh, pavement when we did the pavement uh, you know but a lot of stuff in the nineties but so did um, the music in uh, Perfect Day like if you told me that that or Walk on the Wild Side even more if you told me that that was more recent than nineteen seventy two I'd be like yeah it came out in the nineties it's by some band that was close with with Radiohead or something I don't know but I would agree yeah. with that I think um if you'd have told me that Beck before he was that's a perfect walk yeah, on the wild side it, yeah. I would have said that and you know Beck's uh, is it his I mean I know his so I there's actual connection there though because Beck's mother was a factory girl with Andy Warhol what really how do yes. you know all this because you're a professional. I have no life. No, no. Don't you understand? <laughs> I, I literally have no life. All I do is read and talk to you, and it's the best. Um, but that so she um she actually had a connection to the Velvet Underground, and then I don't know if it's Beck's dad or, or one of her husbands, but he was a huge string arranger. And I actually had written down a note about um, the strings in Perfect Day, uh, in particular, they, I wrote, they keep us hanging on. Wow, what what profound notes Poetry. I took. <laughs> uh, but that really, that in, like, if you listen to the way that Beck's string work, his orchestral string work, um, especially on something like a Paper Tiger, that song, um, I think those are very late 60s early 70s string arrangements i feel like there is a very specific sound to that and that's where you get bum, 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 um, two turntables and a microphone like that's where that comes from you you can see the heritage hmm. you can hear it rather but. could you guys hear the night could you guys hear that because like when i was saying that it sounded it seemed like sonia and nathan you didn't seem to completely agree with that statement the the 90s is in the some of these songs no, no, I agreed entirely. I was about to you agree entirely. Okay. Pavement. When you were you, when you were saying pay, if you didn't say pavement, oh, okay. I was going to jump in and say pavement. So you're going to say pavement. Say, even, it, 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 the other obvious connection, just a little bit past the '90s, would be the early 21st century and the Strokes. Uh, they're a bit more musical, oh, yeah. like in terms of like, but the attitude and kind of the you know, I don't really care. But you know, Julian Casablanca is in the Strokes, sings a bit more in a traditional way than uh, Lou Reed. But the whole attitude and the kind of nonchalant kind of vocal stylings like that it, it extends, I think, even beyond the '90s into some of those early. 2000 garage uh, garage uh, rock bands sorry sonia were you, were you gonna say something no no <laughs> do, 
it seemed like you were there was there it seemed like you'd started saying okay well um, oh just the the bit about the 90s bands thing uh yeah i i had to i i had to put my head back and think oh yeah 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 i get it i get where you're coming from Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it. I mean, that's really probably the first era of music I really clearly remember. And I think <laughs> that that's were seven because I was very <laughs> uh, at that time. But I mean, it, it's I really clearly remember it. And I remember being in cars going to to sports or whatever, you know, like hockey or whatever. And it was just on the radio and you have the radio on all the time. And there's just something about the kind of sound of his voice that sounded so consistent with things I remember hearing. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even be able to tell the, tell you the artist. So as soon as you said Beck, I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. Beck for sense. sure. Cause I know, but the, the music in the, in the background, like I said, it's um, walk on the wild side when it started playing uh, Nathan actually had pointed out. Cause I said, I don't think I've ever heard anything from Lou Reed. And he said, you, you've probably heard walk on the wild side. And I probably had, but I would never have guessed it was from 1972. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it that made me say there's no way. Um, but I think that's, as we mentioned, goes a lot of the credit goes to, I think, to Mick Ronson, who was the primary session musician. He played the guitar, the piano, and the recorder, as well as providing backing vocals and contributed the, contributed this string arrangement for Perfect Day. Um, so, you know, and the piano in Perfect Day is also beautiful it as is. well. It is. Like, it's that's that's a very beautiful song, in my opinion. Sonia, you, you keep making faces every time I make. I have no faces. <laughs> it's just my face. <laughs> oh, no wonder she's not saying anything. I'm going to just block <laughs> out that part of my screen so I can't yeah, see so anything. Just, I put a post-it note over me out. That's what I do you, in Teams meetings. Like You know, I put my you know, foot my mouth sometimes. I, I want to make sure I don't say anything I, that's like, and I, you I, make a face and Katie, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I thought David Bowie played the piano in Perfect Day. A kitty. That is a key. Mm, maybe he did. Uh, he definitely played the keyboards um, as well. I didn't mm. see a, wh- whatever I was looking at didn't tell me who is that in, what individual from a person. Piano? Well, they both played piano slash keyboards. Mm. The two of them. Yes. All I know is Lou Reed didn't. <laughs> yeah. He's too busy singing. He's too busy singing, putting all his time and effort into getting that voice perfect. Mm. Anything else we want to talk about? I think the album, uh, the the sequencing, the. Uh, you know, that was Nathan. Go. I think you can probably talk about that for for 10, 15 minutes straight. Uh, right? <laughs> not really, I, don't. I mean, it's it's tough to sequence an album like this when the songs are all, as we've said before, like fairly different. Like it's uh, it works well the way it is. But I, I feel like this is an album that if I put on shuffle could work almost as well. Like I could be completely wrong on that. But I just feel that because it is relatively uh, eclectic and diverse that for me anyway, it doesn't rely on a certain, wow, you know, if you put this song here, it's kind of building somewhere and this, like, it just sort of feels like we said earlier, a mixtape. And so I think by definition, a mixtape, you can almost have whatever order you want, but that said, it, it works well the way it is. I've got no complaints about that. So about 15 minutes short, short of what you requested. So hopefully somebody else can <laughs> well, <laughs> run and, with and that. And you didn't even mention 35 minutes there. No, it's, it's, it's a, a good, 35, it's good length. 35 minutes, yep. a perfect, it's a perfect length album, yeah. right? I thought that walk on the wild side was actually like a perfect way to end the first side. I I felt that sequencing was kind of interesting and critical and important. And um, also because two of my least favorite songs are at the end, I could just ignore them. Just, just, just pretend they're not there. What are your least favorite? What are the two? Um, New York, New York telephone conversation. She gave a pretty big hint there with the, uh... (laughs) the two at the end yeah no 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 um, but just making sure it's like literally is it the last no, the, two or the, is it the well kind of the last three like after wagon wheel <laughs> i could i could kind of i could i could check out um okay. 
but yeah, New York telephone conversation and I'm so free. I was like, yeah, I get, I get that the, the message and it is very progressive and I'm glad that you're singing about what you're singing, but just, it just didn't hit right for me. Um, and good night ladies was very like very oompa band, uh, in a yeah. displeasing way. Like I, I the, you know, I, I love a, an oompa vibe, but this just didn't hit it for me. You live in the, in the home of the second That's right. world's second largest Oktoberfest. Indeed I do. That's our yeah. claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gia, what did you think about how it was put together? The, uh, the album? Oh, I like the order a lot. I thought it was smart to open with so much percussion because then by the time you get to good night ladies and you get the oompa oompa, um, I feel like you he's earned it in that respect because he's already shown his like street cred, right? He's like, no, I'm cool. And if I want to do some grandpa music, I'm going to do some grandpa music. <laughs> I mean, because that's what Lennon always famously was giving McCartney shit for is calling his writing music hall stuff like Honey Pie and, yeah. you know, when I'm 64. And so, uh, and I don't know. I, I don't know why they're, I love that style of music, but I also totally understand why, you know, Oompa Oompa isn't always as, uh, exciting although i think the most oompa oompa song which one is it that they the trumpet is the baseline oh sorry the tuba rather makeup makeup has its own yep. set oh, yeah. of uh, oompa oompa um that but like non-traditional and oompa. you like that one sonia i did yeah. i did well it's a different flavor of oompa it There's is an a different oompa for everyone amen <laughs> it's post oompa lots of different oompas. <laughs> you know i saw joe jackson in concert probably about eight i love joe ago. jackson god i love him he's so massively talented my god not michael jackson's father amen not michael okay. jackson's father another yeah. another joe yeah non-abusive slate non yeah non mean yeah um but he did at the his encore was is he really going out with her is she really going out with him what's the word what's the song you know the one i yeah. mean and yeah. but, she really... you know that famous bass line dum da dum da dum mm-hmm. but the person i know that the woman she was amazing she played violin banjo mandolin tuba she played everything she was this incredible musician in his band and at once or uh, all at once like in one Impressed song me. definitely <laughs> but she came out and was playing that bass line on the tuba and they did is Come she really on. going out with him with the tuba as the bass and it really That's you incredible. know i thought about that with makeup too and so the that quality as as hokey as it can be i feel like in the hands of it can be masterful in the right hands and i think mm-hmm. lou reed is quite good at uh and uh that's but the other piece i think about the sequencing that i i like that you probably all don't particularly love but um that i really hear the beginnings of what i would call punk cabaret in good night ladies mm-hmm. um and so somebody who would be the kind of modern day legacy of that would be like amanda palmer dresden doll yes I love amanda palmer. yes and i, I amanda. think they take a lot of those kind of weimar republic style uh music and incorporate it into this you know punk rock aesthetic and so in that sense i think the sequencing he 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 earns that cabaret right because mm-hmm. he has the punk bona fides mm-hmm. straight up at the top um otherwise it just sounds like somebody's covering uh you know songs from harold arlen or something like that and you're like well great thanks judy garland but not judy garland you know <laughs> Yeah. And, and I don't think that song uh, would work if it was anywhere else other than the end. Yeah. And I think that that's, as you said, right, it's, it would sound odd. Yes. Most other places in, on the album. I thought 
uh, vicious was just a great lead off because I think it's mm-hmm. probably this maybe the strongest energy. And this is this is me saying what you said, Gia, in a, a much dumber way. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Stronger no. energy, and you're like it's the drums, and here's all the different. And it's like it had strong energy, guys. <laughs> uh, oh God, great. that sounds like Trumpian. That sounds Trumpian. Yeah. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> But, oh, no. uh, tremendous. The, it had tremendous energy. Tremendous percussion. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing that I kind of thought was uh, when we were talking about, you know, the monotonous vocals and everything, all the di- the variation in this, that no two songs side by side sound the same. And I, I, to my ear, I tend to prefer that because I feel like it, it really gives you a clear like, oh, there's a new song happening now and there's just a different energy. And I think that that can make you pay attention. It's only 35 minutes, so you shouldn't have trouble paying attention for that long. But um, but yeah, I thought that, you know, that gives you that kind of walk through the full album and kind of keeps your attention in a really nice way. And so, I mean, those are those are conscious decisions. And so I think that that's, uh, you know, for for what this album is, there's so much on it and never feels like you hear the same thing twice, certainly not back to back. There are songs that sound similar, but they're never close to each other. And to me, that's that's kind of useful uh, from my from my attention span purposes. Uh, is anything else you guys want to talk about um, related to this album or do you want to move on anything at all? The cover was really great. Cool. The yeah. cover. Mm-hmm. Very, very great cover. Uh, Nathan, did you put up your your hand there when I. No, that was the like. Oh, you're rolling. Just keep going. Okay, keep rolling. Keep rolling. No, no, no. Close it up. Oh, Flynn. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, speaking of the cover, so something that I because now this is one of those like tragedies of uh, digital music, and I'm not, you know, it's not that I have to get Neil Young streaming service because I need, you know, full flack quality files. I don't. I, I'm not an audiophile. I don't have a Macintosh stereo system, right? Like I listen to it on the speaker on my phone. I'm a terrible uh, audiophile, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I'm not that. But uh, the, I just totally lost my, we're, you're going to cut this part and you're going to go back and go, what was yeah, the Yeah, he won't. Gia. I'll tell you what, he won't. <laughs> no, I will for Gia. Oh, fine. Uh, well, I see how it yeah, is. Yeah, I'm a special guest. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, oh no, the album cover, that's what it was. So this is the tragedy is that I don't have a physical album right now. Um, my friend that I'm working, uh, we're producing a science docuseries right now, actually. Um, he, and he's going to be on the show later with Eamon. Um, he has a, I don't, I can't remember if it's signed, but he has the transformer album on his wall framed. And he said that on the back, there is this picture of a woman uh, and that the rumor was Mm -hmm. that it was Lou Reed in women's clothing. And Lou Reed has always said, no, it was not me. I'm so flattered, though, that you think it's me. But there's a voicemail where Lou Reed says, (laughs) actually, it was me. (laughs) I've set this voicemail to self-destruct so you'll never be able to tell anyone. See, but even what Sonia was talking about, like the uh, walk on the wild side is the end of one side. Like the experience of that. Um, isn't it? Isn't, isn't there a Tom Petty album where it's like, this is the end of uh, side one. You're going to have to flip that over and listen to side two. Mm-hmm. I mean, that entire experience, you know, I, I CDs were already a thing even when I was a kid. So I haven't quite gotten to have that wonderful um, album experience where you look at the cover art and you look at that and that it's part of the experience of it. And I think I think this one in particular has a lot of um, a lot of clues. Like if you just heard this and you didn't know the cover, that very iconic black and yellow, uh, Mm -hmm. 
I wonder what I would have imagined that cover to look like. Mm-hmm. Like I probably it's, would have thought he would have been in full on like Dame Edna wear. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think that that's one of the things that's, yeah, it's, it's a, cause this is like a, a glam rock kind of like, you know, I wouldn't even say precursor. Like this is this is kind of a one of the pillars of, of glam rock. Yeah, proto. Yeah. And it's it's uh it's very interesting that you know uh, yeah like the the cover you probably you, I don't know if you'd get that you probably wouldn't get that. It feels really punky the 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 cover to me. And it's also interestingly um, the the result of a mistake when they were taking photos. The photographer had it like overexposed, and then showed Lou and was like, "Hey, check out this." He was like, oh, do that. But we need a much, much bigger one. <laughs> and so the guy's like, I can't I can't do it. It was a mistake. And so he had to just try it. He had to like try to recreate the mistake. It took him like five or ten times to recreate the mistake that created that photo in the first place um, so that he could he'd have a big enough print, essentially, that they could use for. Uh... So it's just really great. It's always funny when stuff like that happens and you're like, it is a very iconic uh, album cover and it was 100 percent accidental. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, can you guys, uh, I assume, based on our entire conversation so far, you can see why this is on the list, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's shaking their head. Yeah. I think it's way uh, too high. I can see why it's in the top 500. But for it to be 109, you said? That was that was going to be my question. Was, does everyone bit. think that makes, that, that makes sense that high? Yeah. No. yeah I think Sonya. it's a little bit too high. I, I think it's about right or should be maybe a little bit higher. Clearly, my uh, scaling of what should be on where is completely <laughs> diametrically opposed to the actual list itself. So I, I guess I feel okay about its placement in the top. Yeah, I'm, fifth. I'm kind of. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy with it. I mean, it used to be at 192, and then 194, mm-hmm. and then it moved up to 109. Um, and this last and this most recent version, it's going to make number one next time, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's moving. It's making its way up the list. Yeah, it's going to be right up there pretty soon. Is there one Velvet Underground album or is there two on the list? I can you tell you. Um, I know I don't the know Nico one hand. has to be. Yeah, it is for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the other I think the just white light, white, the, the Velvet Underground or the self on here yeah. um, and loaded and white light, white heat. Basically everything. Wow. So all of them are on there. Okay, so oh, that for of, me, okay. that for me strengthens my argument for why this should not be one of nine. Probably, like that's a lot of velvet. Strike it this, from the list. I'm kidding. Don't this to me isn't like it's it's. A, we've talked about how diverse this album is, but it's not so different from the other Velvet Underground albums that are on the list. And I guess you're saying there's all three or all four, plus the Lou Reed. Like it's a bit, it's a bit much, I think. And so I don't think this is the best album that Lou Reed's been involved with. I would have put one of the Velvet Underground albums ahead of this one. It, if not there a is at least one above. I think the Velvet Underground Nico is way up there. Like I think it's right. in the top 50 for sure. Um, so I think, yeah. you know, we've covered all the reasons why it should be on the list. I just think that, you know, it's probably a three to 500, somewhere in that range for me, like to be 109, almost in the top 100 is a bit, is a bit much, but the, that's, that's the Nico one is number quibble. 23. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say it's, it's way up there. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's uh, and having again no like Velvet Underground, I don't have that strong of a, a background in either. So like this isn't I, I don't want to kind of make a judgment across all of the albums he was he was involved with, but you could see why this one's kind of oddly unique. I mean, Lou Reed post Velvet Underground is is still considered to be pretty important based on all of the reading I've done since we we accidentally selected this album, <laughs> um, and uh, but this is also his first solo work to get any attention. Uh, it's Mick Ronson and David Bowie 
producing and session musicians. So it's a very, it's a unique album in that way. It's daring from a lyrical standpoint. Um, and it's, it's just good to listen to. So I think it's, I, I don't have a problem with it where it is necessarily. My, my, my opinion is, uh, I mean, if it was slightly closer, like a, if it was at 150, I also wouldn't care. Uh, I think it's pretty well, I, I definitely don't think this is like a top 20. Um, but, uh, but I do think it's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, album. Do you guys think this was a commercial success, a critical hit or both Sonia? Um, gee, I don't know. Critical success, probably because of the, uh, David Bowie bump, um, commercially, maybe limited commercial success there. I'll just hedge my bets thusly. Nathan. Um, I will guess that it on the whole was a critical success. I'd be very surprised if it was a commercial success. Gia. I think I, I, I don't believe it was either. Probably, I I wonder if it was not a critical success because I could see why I could see them tearing it apart for some of the things that we've already talked about today. So I'm curious to know. Tell us, Eamon. All right, I will. Um, <laughs> you might be surprised that I'd say it's a it's it's commercial success might surprise you. Um, it hit number 29 on the U.S. Bill, Billboard Top LPs, uh, oh. number 13 on the U.K. Albums Chart. It was certified platinum in the U.K. and gold in at least Australia, France, and Italy, although I couldn't find sales figures for the U.S. Um, but if it if it charted so high, you'd think it would have pretty solid sales. Walk on the Wild Side hit number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100, which is pretty fantastic as well, for some, especially for something like like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and oddly, critical reception was was kind of mixed. I had I had a really tough time finding like a ton of examples, like hard examples. But the original review from Rolling Stone was pretty vicious, <laughs> vicious, I said it, guys, and homophobic. Um, yeah. That's a lot, a lot less funny than the vicious part. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know, I, I pulled out a couple of uh, a couple of quotes here, and maybe this kind of aligns with something you said just just a minute ago, Nathan. He said his first solo album was a bit of a disappointment in light of his work with the Velvets. Um, you know, it's talking about like makeup, a tune about putting on makeup and coming out of the closets out on the street is as corny and innocuous as I feel pretty from West Side Story. How That's a dare line directly you? from it. Um, <laughs> about Vicious, he says it's the best song he's done since the days of Velvet Underground, the kind of song he can do best. And then in brackets, his voice has practically no range. <laughs> and then to close 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 to the end of it and this is a very strange one i don't actually know what he's what the person was trying to say he said he should forget this artsy fartsy kind of homo stuff and just go in there with a bad hangover and start blaring out his his visions of lunar ass fuck what does that even mean i don't even know what that that (laughs) sentence means i read it like 45 times (laughs) i still have no clue what it means have you reached out to the writer on twitter no i'm i'm sure he Still. is dead okay <laughs> um, dead but but uh well i'm sure hoping now <laughs> um but uh even retrospective reviews aren't even aren't that great like uh in the new rolling stone album guide tom hall uh said that uh reed wrote a bunch of clever songs and tried to cash in on producer david bowie's trendily androgynous glam rock so it wasn't wasn't willing to give the album any real credit and that's more recent but it's on like a ton of greatest greatest albums lists and it's usually near the top so it's a very odd 
it's a very odd one i think mm. uh, i don't think we've had like this sort of mix of of answers in this section before so lou reed gets to be unique again i do have one bad opinion here oh my favorite here it is some great singles on here otherwise bloated with unbearable shite that's it <laughs> from electro panda in 2012 on uh, rate your music um, I've got a bonus one good opinion, which we've never done before, but I thought this was worth it. This is a really good transformer. Some other good transformers include Soundwave, Starscream, Ultra Magnus, Bumblebee, no. Uni Unicron, Astrotrain, Grimlock. I want to say this is the best transformer. I mean, it has both Perfect Day and Satellite of Love, but Unicron, Unicron is the planet that transformers live on and the planet transforms into a robot. And I'm pretty sure that robot is transformer God. So this is the best, second best transformer. <laughs> <laughs> and that is from Dr. Yeah. Isaac Goodshot, Kelly Esquire in 2020 on Amazon. Hmm. I need and he makes good points. More of that lawyer's reviews. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's quite, quite the review. Huh? Um, didn't, he mentioned some songs in it. I mean, did more than the the bad bad opinion, right? It's true, mm -hmm. and it didn't manage to use the phrase "lunar ass fuck." So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that should give it bonus points. What? You, yeah, yeah, I don't know what that could possibly. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I definitely think there is that homophobia underneath it all. I really mm -hmm. think we're looking at it from 2020 eyes, where we're screaming, 100%. "Let them say gay in Florida!" You know, like we have. We're so we're so regressive. It's pathetic. But that you know, these things that are now actually tabletop conversation pieces. He was putting it straight out there i mean it is shocking to hear that walk on the wild side you said got to 16 is that right amen yeah i think that's what i what i said yeah it's a, it, it did extremely well like it was i was surprised yeah 16 on the on the billboard hot 100 it really feels like that's somehow skirted under the radar like people were like oh it's just this cute and quirky song as opposed to but maybe yeah maybe people were buying the single rather than the full album so it was it, walk on the wild side and what was the b-side was perfect day the or double so. A side, oh, right? The double um, A, that's right. So, but there was no nothing to contextualize. I, I think it. it. I don't. I don't know if it like stayed up there for very long either, because I think that it uh, it did eventually get banned places, hmm. but it didn't get. I don't think it got banned right away. I don't think people like completely understood what they were hearing, and that might be like a as you said, Sonia. That might be a due entirely to the single nature of it rather mm -hmm. than being part of this album. Uh, would you guys recommend this album to people and why? Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I would. I think uh, there's a lot there to like. Like we've said ad nauseum, it's it's very eclectic, very diverse. Um, you know, we've talked about the subject matter, the lyrics, uh, even the voice, like a, even a voice that some might consider bad can be compelling. And so I think even if it's sort of one listen, you're like, oh, that was a really bad voice, but it was it was interesting to hear somebody that had that limited range. So I think there's all sorts of things that can get people into the album. Whether they listen to it repeatedly, I don't know, but I would have no trouble recommending this album to somebody. Sonia. Same. Um, I think almost everyone I know has at least heard Walk on the Wild Side. And I think hearing that, hearing the whole album to give it more context um is is important and yeah for that reason and more i would recommend it maybe not the last three songs or with a little asterisk next Stop to them. early <laughs> yeah. 
goes back to like Nathan's. Well, maybe if it was an extended play rather than a full album, we'd be <laughs> we'd be better off. Gia, would you recommend this? I would, and I would recommend it as a listening album because it is so short. Uh, you know, if you can sit through a half hour sitcom, you can sit here, and you can also follow this story, um, albeit a slightly different structure than a TV show. Um, I, I think it's much more listenable as an entire album than I would have ever kind of imagined it would. I would have thought it would have had a lot more. Um, those are the singles you can tell because those are the only interesting songs here. But that's not true. And I think in situ, the entire album is a very interesting time capsule. And so I would highly recommend anyone who wanted to to look at like what was pressing the boundaries. What did that really, really look like in 1972? Because at that point, mm -hmm. Frank Sinatra's think... also got number one hits still. Like, imagine that mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, that's life yeah. is this at the same time. Those are both popular music. I, I think some of the some of the songs on this would pre would push boundaries today. And, you know, if, if, if people listening to it, I think if you just start playing some of this on like a popular like radio station or something like that, radio stations still exist. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. Time, if yeah. It, You know, <laughs> uh, you would. I think I think people would still be surprised. I think people would still be like, whoa, whoa, whoa what am I listening to? So um, I would definitely recommend it. I also think uh, to your point, Gia, it fits in this very interesting place between the 1960s and the 1970s. Um, and it has sounds from that I think are there from both. Uh, it's well worth the listen, even just as a curiosity. But I think it's also something you can listen to more than once and really enjoy. That's all for today. Thank you, as always, to Nathan and Sonia. Uh, thank you to Gia for joining us all the way from sunny California. Uh, what did you think of Transformer? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at our music pod. Rate and review this podcast wherever you can. Tell your friends they can listen to us and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or simply visit recordroulettepodcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode all about Things Fall Apart by The Roots. Until the next spin. Goodbye.